Broadcasting from deep in the recesses of the Pine Barrens in Burlington County, New Jersey. This is Burlington County Bluegrass. I am your host, famous radio personality, Mark Bluegrass Plant. This is part two of Mark Twain's Words and Music. Mark Twain played by Clint Eastwood, Huck Finn, Jimmy Buffett, Harrison Keeler is your narrator. Music provided by Brad Paisley, Marty Raybon, Val Story, Vince Gill, Rhonda Vincent, Joe Diffie, Ricky Skagg. Emmy Lou Harris, Doyle Lawson, Bradley Walker, Carl Jackson at Church Sisters, Cheryl Crow, among others. A very special edition of Burlington County Bluegrass. Enjoy. The tranquility of the Clemens family, like many well-to-do families of the time, was to be shattered by the countrywide panic of 1893 and further complicated by Sam's poor investments. Facing potential bankruptcy, Sam... Livy and Clara left the United States in 1895 for a 13-month lecture tour around the world, Susie and Jean staying behind with family. The girls were young adults now, and though it was painful, the separation seemed bearable under the circumstances. From Fiji to Australia to New Zealand to Ceylon, India, South Africa, the three of them pressed on, with Sam lecturing and getting material for a book about his journey following the equator. Sam Clemens recounted adventures and described characters from every culture, but he was especially enchanted with India and one certain resident in particular, Bird of Birds, the Indian Crow. I suppose he is the hardest lot that wears feathers, yes, and the cheerfulest and the best satisfied with himself. He never arrived at what he is by any careless process or any sudden one. He is a work of art, and art is long. He is the product of memorial ages and deep calculation. One can't make a bird like that in a day. He has been reincarnated more times than Shiva. He has kept a sample of each incarnation and fused it into his constitution. In the course of his evolutionary promotions, his sublime march toward ultimate perfection. He has been a gambler, a low comedian, a dissolute priest, a fussy woman, a blackguard, a scoffer, a liar, a thief, a spy, an informer, a trading politician, a swindler, a professional hypocrite, a patriot for cash, a reformer, a lecturer, a lawyer, a conspirator, a rebel, a royalist, a democrat, a practicer and propagator of irreverence, a meddler, an intruder, a busybody, an infidel, and a wallower in sin for the mere love of it. The strange result, the incredible result, of this patient accumulation of all damnable traits is that he does not know what care is. He does not know what sorrow is. He does not know what remorse is. His life is one long thundering ecstasy of happiness, and he will go to his death untroubled, knowing that he will soon turn up again as an author or something.
sitting on a rail, studying me in great detail. I wish I knew just what you know. You're a cagey bird, a Indian crow. Indian crow, just like me, from place to place on the open breeze. Back and forth, from town to town. You'd write a book if you could write it down. You've been a gambler, comedian, priest, and politician, fussy woman, blackguard, stalker, in addition, winner, and liar, thief, and a hypocrite. You've been a spy, an informer, rebel, and reformer, a lawyer, lecturer, infidel, meddler, wanderer, and seeing for the love of it. Indian crow, just like me, from place to place on the open breeze, back and forth, from town to town. You'd write a book if you could write it down. family to pay off every cent of their debt. Sam, Livy, and Clara had kept in touch with Susie and Jean during those 13 months of traveling through letters and cablegrams, and now a reunion was planned for the family to live together once again, this time in England, where it wouldn't cost so much and where Sam could write in peace. Clara, her mother, and I arrived in England from around the world on the 31st of July and took a house in Guildford. A week later, when Susie, Katie, and Jean should have been arriving from America, we got a letter instead. It explained that Susie was slightly ill, nothing of consequence. But we were disquieted and began to cable for later news. This was Friday. All day, no answer, and the ship to leave Southampton the next day at noon. Clara and her mother began packing to be ready in case the news should be bad. 
Finally came a cablegram saying, wait for cablegram in the morning. This was not satisfactory, not reassuring. I cabled again, asking that the answer be sent to Southampton, for the day was now closing. I waited in the post office that night till the doors were closed, toward midnight, in the hope that good news might still come. But there was no message. We sat silent at home till one in the morning, waiting. Waiting for we knew not what. Then we took the earliest morning train, and when we reached Southampton, the message was there. It said the recovery would be long but certain. This was a great relief to me, but not to my wife. She was frightened. She and Clara went aboard the steamer at once and sailed for America to nurse Susie. I remained behind to search for another and larger house in Guildford. That was the 15th of August, 1896. Three days later, when my wife and Clara were about halfway across the ocean, I was standing in our dining room, thinking of nothing in particular, when a cablegram was put into my hand. It said Susie was peacefully released today. It is one of the mysteries of our nature that a man all unprepared can receive a thunderstroke like that and live. The calamity that comes is never the one we had prepared ourselves for.
to Mark Twain, Words and Music on Burlington County Bluegrass, RCBC Radio. The family never fully recovered from the impact of Susie's death. Livy, who had always experienced frail health, endeavored to press on despite her physical weaknesses. She could not rest. She was never intended to rest. She had the spirit of a steam engine in a frame of flesh. The Clemenses had lived in a Florentine villa before in 1892, and in 1903, doctors advised a return to Florence when Livy's health appeared to be worsening. It is agreed that life at a Florentine villa is an ideal existence. The weather is divine, the outside aspects lovely, the days and the nights tranquil and reposeful. The seclusion from the world and its worries as satisfactory as a dream. Late in the afternoons, friends come out from the city and drink tea in the open air and tell what is happening in the world. And when the great sun sinks down upon Florence and the daily miracle begins, they hold their breaths and look. It is not a time for talk. In Florence, Clemens grew hopeful that Livy would recover and she appeared to be getting better. And then on Sunday evening, June the 5th, 1904, he wrote, She has been dead two hours. It is impossible. The words have no meaning, but they are true. I know it without realizing it. She was my life and she's gone. She was my riches and I am a pauper. Only four hours ago, I sat by her bedside while Clara and Jean were at dinner, and she was bright and cheerful, only four hours ago. And now there she lies, white and still. She was the most beautiful spirit, and the highest and noblest I've ever known. And now she's dead. I wish I were with Levy. Man. 
After Livy's death, Twain poured his grief and rage into the social commentary that had come to define him. Honest, scathing tirades against hypocrisy, dishonesty, greed, and bigotry. No subject escaped his famous pen warmed up in hell. Politics, business, religion, education, prisons, all affronts were challenged, debated and opined. Twain's view was sought in all matters. Strange it is, just like religion and politics. In religion and politics, people's beliefs and convictions are in almost every case gotten at second hand and without examination from authorities who have not themselves examined the questions at issue, but have taken them at second hand from other non-examiners whose opinions about them were not worth a brass farthing. It was a close place. I took it up and held it in my hand. I was a trembling because I got to decide forever betwixt two things, and I knowed it. I studied a minute, sort of holding my breath, and then says to myself, all right then, I'll go to hell, and tore it up. It was awful thoughts and awful words, but they were said, and I let them stay said and never thought no more about reforming. I shoved the whole thing out of my head and said I would take up wickedness again which was in my line being brung up to it, and the other and weren't. And for a starter, I would go to work and steal Jim out of slavery again. And if I could think up anything worse, I would do that too, because as long as I was in, and in for good, I might as well go the whole hog. <laughs> it is an odd and curious and interesting ass, the human race. 
And when the human race has once acquired a superstition, nothing short of death is ever likely to remove it. On most topics, Twain spoke candidly, but many of his controversial writings he suppressed until after his death. In his autobiography, which was published after his death, Twain wrote, I've always preached that is the reason I have lasted 30 years. If the humor came of its own accord and uninvited, I have allowed it a place in my sermon. But I was not writing this sermon for the sake of the humor. I should have written the sermon just the same, whether any humor applied for admission or not. And I about made up my mind to pray and see if I couldn't try to quit being the kind of a boy I was and be better. So I kneeled down, but the words wouldn't come. You can't pray a lie. I found that out. I'm saying these vain things in this frank way because I am a dead person speaking from the grave. Even I would be too modest to say them in life. I think we never become really and genuinely our entire and honest selves until we are dead. And not then until we have been dead years and years. People ought to start dead and then they would be honest so much earlier. All sometimes in the middle of doing something that you hate You discover something that you kind of like And when I was a kid I went to work day after day For my brother's paper setting up the type Then there was a moment it was just like lightning hit Felt the power of the words that formed beneath my fingertips Oh, once it was the river, that was my true love But now as time goes by, I've come to think It ain't the muddy water flowing through my blood No, it's ink To read all I could get my hands on to Every magazine and book that I could find Started turning local gossip Straight into the front page news Printing stories that you call the spicy kind Yeah, you could say that's about the time When I was truly smitten When I saw the town's reaction To the tales that I had written
It took me across the ocean It took me round the world It took me down a million miles of rails And I gained and lost more fortunes Than I ever thought I could All because of something I used to scrape From underneath my nails Now a lot of decades passed A lot of words flowed from a pen I've known privilege, popularity and wealth There were days when I would harbor Such gratitude within From just seeing my own books there on the shelf So I wrote my final chapter And the century's gone past And now from the great hereafter I'm still having the last laugh Once it was the Mississippi That was my true love But a hundred years up here made me think It was never muddy water No, it was ink Sam stayed busy giving speeches, granting interviews, and writing commentary. He accepted honors and accolades, including an honorary doctorate from Oxford University. His daughter Clara married and moved away. Daughter Jean had suffered from epilepsy for years and often lived in sanitariums where doctors searched for a cure. Lonesome for each other, Jean came home to live with her father. Their days together were sweet and made more poignant by their brevity. Jean died of a seizure that Christmas Eve in 1909, just a short time after coming to live with her father. Clemens' grief was profound, and his own days were numbered. I came in with Halley's Comet in 1835. It is coming again next year, and I expect to go out with it. It will be the greatest disappointment of my life if I don't go out with Halley's Comet. The Almighty has said, no doubt, now here are these two unaccountable freaks. They came in together. They must go out together. Well, the good Lord said November 30, back in 
Kentucky, Mississippi was his Harvard and his Yale And it forever put a stamp upon the way he'd spin the tale It brought us the adventures of Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn Who taught us the fires of hell are better than betraying your best friend Well, he took a ride on Halley's coming for the whole wide world to see A light filled the sky, they saw him coming for a place in history him off in old Missouri. Three quarters of a century passed and the year is 1910. Twain lives a prayer letting me go out just the way that I came in. Said, dear Mark, I agree the time is right I can't bear to see you disappointed Pick you up on Thursday night Gonna take a ride on Halley's Coming for the whole wide world to see Gonna fill the sky, they'll see him Going for a place in history Gonna take a ride on Halley's Coming for the whole wide world to see Gonna fill the sky, they'll see him Going for a place in history And so there ain't nothing more to write about, and I'm right and glad of it. Because if I'd have known what a trouble it was to make a book, I wouldn't have tackled it, and ain't a gonna do it no more. But I reckon I got a light out for the territory ahead of the rest. Because Aunt Sally, she's going to adopt me and civilize me. And I can't stand it. I've been there before. Samuel Langhorne Clemens died on April 21st, 1910, in Reading, Connecticut, with the perihelion of Halley's Comet, blazing in the night sky, just as he had predicted. His only surviving daughter, Clara, had one child, Nina Clemens Gabrilovich. Nina never married, bore no children, died in Los Angeles at the age of 55, leaving no direct descendants of Samuel Langhorne Clemens, whom the world lovingly remembers as Mark Twain. Sam's longtime friend, William Dean Howells lamented his friend's passing. He said, Emerson, Longfellow, Lowell, Holmes, I knew them all, and all the rest of our sages, poets, seers, critics, humorists, they were like one another and like other literary men. But Clemens was soul, incomparable, the Lincoln of our literature. RCBC Radio, you just heard Mark Twain's words and music 
part two, a yearly tradition right here at Burlington County Bluegrass and RCBC Radio. For more information on Mark Twain, this CD we just played, you can visit the website, marktwainmuseum.org, marktwainmuseum.org. Now, how do you top that? Well, I'm not sure if we could top it, but let's try. How about the rest of this show dedicated to Allison Krauss? Let's start off with Allison with John Waite. John hit number one in the charts with this song. Allison comes along and just makes the number one song even better. Allison Krauss, John Waite, missing you. This is RCBC Radio.
You're listening to RCBC Radio.
Well, the only job I ever got out there was waiting on a welfare line. Once I had a dollar, and once I had a dream, but now all the work is being done by a big old machine. Lying on 
RCBC Radio. You just heard my opening farewell, Alison Krauss. Alison Krauss before that with Dan Tominski on the lead vocals, Dust Bold Children, The Lucky One, Sawing on the Strings, and Missing You with John Waite. All done by Alison Krauss. Let's finish with Alison. Restless tonight. This is famous radio personality, Mark Bluegrass, Plant, RCBC Radio. Don't ask me for 
to love what I know I love to ride along and sing a song and listen to the radio well, You can ride along And if you change your mind, well that's just fine But there's something that you've got to know If you choose to lie, honey Don't try to open my door with your skeleton key Some folks seem to think I've only got one problem I can't find nobody as crazy as me Did exist, I know it will be missed. Goodbye, brush the cheek, wipe the eye. Goodbye, we're gathered here today under the sight of God. A simple toss of song. Goodbye, a decent burial, such an important way. For your respects to pay goodbye Brush the cheek, wipe the eye Goodbye Goodbye.